The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. This might sound a bit morbid to open the show with, but roll with me. I promise I've got a point. On one's deathbed, whether and when to pull the plug may depend in large part on the practices and culture of end-of-life care in a country, perhaps more than individual needs or wishes. We discuss. The slightly grim topic: single and childless. Who's to decide to pull the plug when the time comes? And also, we will share with you what's caught our attention this week and what's made us happy in Roundtable's Happy Place. For today's program, I'm joined by Huang Shen in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show, one of the many byproducts of. Demographic change in this country is single and childless people will lack a support system that many older people count on. Their adult children, while still fit and young, they're planning ahead. Some are hoping that without next of kin or a spouse, their own wishes of the final moments could be honored by their friends. However, there are many practical obstacles that stand in the way, even if the friend wants to help. So tell us what happened. Why is this slightly morbid topic in public purview at the moment? Because recently we have a Japanese example,、uh, which is about a lady whose name is Chizuko Yuino, and she is a Japanese sociologist. She was regarded one of the Japanese women who would never get married. Uh, she shared her thoughts of being single in her books and thought she could enjoy her life when she was old, but she remained single until she was seventy-three and applied for marriage certificate with a ninety-six-year-old historian. The marriage aimed to help the latter to deal with his end-of-life matters, because the historian's former wife passed away years ago, and his son lived far away from the old man. As his neighbor, Yuino has been taking care of him since the pandemic hit.、Uh, the two promised to take care of each other in the last days of their lives. However, when the historian felt the He would pass away soon. Yuino started to face many difficulties while dealing with his end-of-life matters. 
Um, since she was not the relative of the man, she could not sign on his consent form for hospital admission and surgeries. She could not submit the death certificate application for the man, though the man has already entrusted the woman to manage his assets. But when she arrived at the bank, her request would still be rejected because she's not his relative. Um, the bank clerk has to confirm with the man before allowing her to manage the assets. Therefore, the old woman has to apply for the marriage certificate and become the wife of the man 15 hours before his death. With that marriage certificate, she handled the end-of-life matters for the man smoothly.、Uh, of course, this is a very extreme example. However, it echoed、uh, by many young Chinese internet users, because we know. Well, in recent years, not only in China but the world as well, we are facing a trend of low fertility rate as well as a shrinking family size. So, for many young people who may not find a partner yet, and maybe for some of them who are not interested in getting married soon, this is one of their concerns. What if they remain single until the end of their life? Then, who can help them to deal with these chores? Indeed, and let me just quickly add a caveat. Even if somebody gets married, you could be divorced, and that's not news for people either. So it's like till the final moments of a person who's there for you to rely on to carry out your wishes, so to speak. Josh, when you first saw this piece of news, what did you think? What is it like in the UK? Do you have similar kind of discussions? Well, if something like this were to happen, usually what we would be talking about is something called. A legal power of attorney, and this is—I don't know if you exactly have something like this in China.、Um, I assume that it's not exactly the same, but、uh, this is basically a legal document that allows you to appoint, including friends, to make decisions on your behalf if you become unable to do so yourself. So, for example, if you have health issues, something to do with welfare decisions, property,、um, any other sort of financial affairs. And if you haven't made an LPA or a legal power of attorney、um, and become unable to make decisions for yourself,、uh, your friends will not be able to have the legal authority to deal with your assets. So you need this in the United Kingdom, and getting one isn't particularly easy. But、oh. in theory,、um, if you meet the criteria, anyone can actually do it. So is this? This is immediately what I was thinking about when I, I read this topic, and I guess it seems kind of similar, right? Yeah, there is definitely something that runs in a similar vein. That is, what the law says of this kind of arrangement. And you are correct. In China, in the latest version of the civil code, there is something very similar to this. What you just mentioned, and it's pretty much. Of the will of a person who would need to have it notarized, done when this person is lucid. So to help avoid the potential perils of a solitary old age, people have come up with plans, and the law is on their side about getting the help of a possible friend. So could you walk us through the process in what it's like to do it here in China? Of course, legal aid is in place, and some people may say they can write a will to authorize these issues to friends. 
But in real life, it is not that easy. It's more complicated than you expect. Because if we start with the definition of will, it refers to the legal act that takes effect upon the death of the testator,、uh, which the testator deals with his or her legacy or other affairs before the death within the scope permitted by law. That is to say. A will can only take effect after a person's death and cannot meet the needs before that. So, when you suffer from an incurable disease, can friends help you choose to end the meaningless and painful procedures and treatment? Based on this definition, apparently the answer is no, because the will cannot enable them to do so.、Uh, for those who have to deal with that、uh, state. It's very hard, and sometimes even a will is not that effective.、Uh, there is an example back in 2021. There was an old man wrote a notarized will, which gave his housing property and savings to a fruit seller who took care of the old man. However, after the death of the old man, relatives of the old man who refused to take care of him when she was alive,、uh, they. Were not agreed with the、uh, the will because the old man was diagnosed Alzheimer two years ago before the notarization of the will. So these relatives are claiming maybe the old guy made this will in an unconscious state of mind. So at the end, the court supported the relatives at last, and a fruit seller can only seek appeal. So sometimes when it comes to the settlement of such cases, it could be. Really, really complicated, and usually relatives, no matter is your direct offsprings or just the extended family members, ah,、uh, they will still be prioritized in most of the cases. So sometimes, if you would like to authorize your friend to deal with your issues after you pass away. That could be very complicated, and also、oh, now we're talking about a will. So it basically refers to the procedures and all the distributions of your assets,、um, your all the things you have collected over the years after your death. What about before that? Who can decide whether to terminate a medical procedure for you, especially when you are not conscious at all? If you have relatives, that is great. But what about for those who remain single at the end of their life? So there's something you have to think about, or is there a legal paper that can give you all the details and、uh, medical workers they can draw on or they can refer to? I mean, that is one of the solutions you can think of. I would say, and this is a point of contention for people and. There are different views on this, and some legal experts say that you can arrange, let's say, you know, the certain circumstances that you would want to keep on life support, or when to pull the plug. Like in theory, you can write this down in the will, but the problem is, can it be honored in reality? And when we look at the Busy and sometimes messy situation in the ICU. When the moment comes, the doctors do not have this legal responsibility to 
infer who should be the executor of the will. So usually they would just go according by law, and that is next of kin, a spouse, children. You know, these are the people who come first by order in deciding what to do with this person that is possibly incapacitated. So here comes that really tough but and difficult situation that a lot of younger people these days, actually, they're probably not going to face this anytime soon. But due to demographic change in this country, and also, you know, with rising divorce rates, and rising rates of people who stay single, and all these quandaries about having a child or not, and then it becomes a little bit all too real for people when you think about the final moments. And I'd like to ask you this question, Josh, that is, do you see like a similar kind of, almost like a predicament for people when it comes to, you know, the final moments of a person's life? Because here in China, it seems like what you write down on paper and even have notarized, but might not hold till the final moment. So what do you think? I think these issues exist, but I don't think they're that common. I don't think the chance is that high. It depends what you're talking about here because, and it really depends, it's case by case, and it depends on the severity of the the health issue, for example, or um, the, the potential consequences for it. So uh, it's not a massive worry, but I, I do think that there are similar problems. I think that there's a lot of investment into wills and getting things notarized and the whole process of getting witnesses, getting wills signed over. I myself actually recently, as my parents have gotten over older in the last uh, few years, I've had to sign all sorts of things for my grandma and my my mother and father and all of these things. And uh, even though I, I hope that some of them are quite a long way off passing away, but I mean, we're much colder about this in the UK. We, we talk about it, I think, a bit more openly than people do in China. So. And maybe that's also why it's not such a big talking point or worry, because I think the topic of death is has different levels of sensitivity right around this topic in different cultures. And I find you can tell me if you think this is true, Haiyan, because I know you spent some time in the UK, but I really think that in my country, it's not a sensitive issue at all. Do you think this is why we're talking about this more today or why it's more of a story in China? I think there are multiple facets that we can discuss okay. of this story. And sure, sometimes, and this was a bit of a shocker I experienced when I first went to the UK, that people sometimes have these morbid sense of humor. And you just wouldn't say that in Chinese. Those <laughs> jokes do not translate directly at all. You know, mm. Please don't do that. <laughs> but there, there is definitely that. And Huang Shan, what do you see as the possible reasons to why this is being talked about by so many young people and kind of in an urgent manner? I think it's because many people are entering the chapter of life that they have to decide whether they want to get married or how many kids they want to have in the near future or whether they want to have a kid or not. I think in recent months, we have talked about the fertility rate for so many times. And when it comes to question what has hindered people from giving birth. One concern is that uh, many people, they don't really see they need 
a kid or kids to make their lives more fulfilled. So they enjoy the state of the relationship just to you know be with themselves and with their loved ones. And I don't think a kid is necessary. However, from the parents' point of view, maybe they still want you to have a kid or not. But this is just one of the many examples. I think maybe when you are using that as an argument to debate with your parents, saying, "Oh, I don't really need a kid in the future," this could be a problem、uh, raised by your parents by saying, "What if?" At the end, you're by yourself, and who will help you to terminate or to put an end to those painful medical procedures, especially when you're not conscious at all? Definitely, some people who are very well educated, who are very familiar with all the legal terms, they may、uh, propose a new, a, a, well, a very creative thing called a living will. So, which means to differentiate it with. From the traditional or conventional view is that、uh, all the things you write down will take effect before your death. So maybe you can list out all the medical procedures you would like to take and、uh, specify about when or how it is a time that you would like your doctor to put an end to all these medical treatment. However, you know. They are not that effective for these.、Um, I mean, when it comes to these living wills, so it depends on where you are and about、uh, how comprehensive the content contained in that piece of paper. And、uh, you know, sometimes for medical staff, they still like to、um, ask your direct relatives. Uh, about the decision in medical treatment, because sometimes they would like to avoid disputes, especially、mm. in China when the medical resources are very limited, and so sometimes、um, doctors they don't have enough time, like to. Comprehensively communicate with a patient or the patient's family. So sometimes they will go for the most conservative way, which is to extend your life. However, as the patient. Yourself, maybe you have a different thought in this. Maybe you would like to experience less pain. Then, when there's no one's around, how you can make the decision that may prioritize your own need? Maybe that's one of the reasons why we are talking about this. Yes, and after some research and consultation with legal experts, there is a more harsh truth or. Darker side of things, or let's just call it reality, that might need to be presented here. That is, one's end of life support lasts as long as your bank account, unless you live in a country where the medical bill is covered by the state, which China is not. Saving up for medical care is possibly a more urgent matter to consider than. The doctor wants to continuously keep on life support because, in reality, in the ICU, what happens most likely is the doctor will come up and consult with the next in ken and say, "The time has come, and do you have sufficient funding to continue doing this?" And if the answer is no, then the solution is actually rather simple. And then, so for Oh, yeah, that sounds really morbid, <laughs> but 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 that's just kind of the reality we're 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 faced here. So,、uh, 
I suppose it's really good to have discussions about what to do in extreme circumstances and in our imagination that will happen to everyone at one point. But the details of individuals' situation could vary quite a bit. And it's kind of important to also sort of look at this in a realistic way and not trouble ourselves with the unnecessary troubles, so to speak, sometimes. Also, why this has become a problem for more people and being talked about more, there are some data that show uh, this could be relevant to people. For example, the lifelong childless rate among women apparently has increased from 6.1% in 2015 to nearly 10% in 2020. When I saw these numbers from a report by CCTV News, the third China Population and Development Forum, um, it made me think about also if this is the right for women, then what about for men? You know, this is relevant because there are these growing rates of people who are childless and also with rising divorce rates and dropping marriage rates, which we have mentioned before. So if this is the reality we're looking at, then what do you see as possible solutions? You know, I know people are kind of already trying to come up with plans. Therefore, they're contemplating these slightly morbid issues. But uh, what else can people do if this is kind of in the in the future in some shape or form? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that it's complicated. And I think it's particularly complex right now because we're in this sort of um, changing stage, I guess, as you mentioned, where divorce rates are rising. It's becoming more common to remain single or not get married, not have a family, right? And this was less common beforehand. And I think that things like um, legal power of attorneys or whatever that might translate to uh, in whatever country we are talking about, um, they, they're quite legally complex. And I guess as just like supply and demand really, when if there's more demand for something like an LPA, then I would hope that the legal the legality, the legal aspects become less complex for people. And I hope that there are maybe better options for people to do this. Um, it, as it was quite, maybe it was more rare before, I guess it would be more legally complex. But I think that um, that could be one thing that we can do. I guess as much as the individual who is not a legal expert, um, I, I, that's a very difficult question to answer. I mean, I guess I, uh, on a very responsible level, I would suggest that you would at least le read up on the legal complexities of it, I think that you should really consider about, of course, who is eligible for it, um, who would you choose to do so, um, and whether there's any sort of conflict of interest. But again, it's it's very difficult, right? And especially when we're talking about friendships as well. Mm. Friendships are generally, I, I think, much less binding than family, and um, they can change yeah. at the drop of a hat. So. Uh, it's it's not an easy question to answer, but it's a good one that you ask. And it's good to have the lawyer, the professional involved in that sense to be the executor of the will because a friend probably don't know more about the legalities of things than you do. And, you know, as much as a goodwill that person might hold, 
might not be fit to do the job in that sense. So Huangshan, what do you see as the possible solutions that people could take up to get prepared? Yeah, designated guardianship could be a good solution. According to the Civil Code Article 33, designated guardianship refers to an adult with full civil capacity can negotiate with close relatives, other individuals or organizations uh, who are willing to serve as guardians and determine their guardian in written form. Um, the guardian shall fulfill the duty of guardianship when the adult loses or partially loses civil capacity. However, this system or this policy hasn't been widely recognized in the country because a few years ago in some cities, let's say Beijing, uh, it has piloted community-based designated guardianship services, but they ultimately stopped it because it's very hard. It's very hard to implement it. So maybe that's what the legal experts should think about as well as the policymakers because uh, they should always keep up with the new trends emerged in the society. Yeah, in many ways, policy, the law is playing catch up with mm. what happens in society. And maybe it still takes a little bit longer for our society to mature to that point when these kind of designated guardianships and the power of the attorney um, as you designate this person when you're well lucid and all of that and could become more prevalent and widely accepted by people. And I have really um, down-to-earth suggestions for people. For example, go out and meet people, get married and have babies, raise them well, keep your fingers crossed that they'll look after you when you grow old. And if that's not really what you want to do, um, then live healthy, stay happy, keep yourself fit mentally and physically, you know, because um, you're depending on yourself. That's not all that positive, is it? But this is something that I'm sure people are going to talk about in the near future as well, because um, we are all wondering about the final moments when or to what extent can your wishes be honored. You're listening to Roundtable. We'll be back after this break. D-Dime, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hu Young. I'm joined by Huang Shen and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, it's not the first time the public talks about having ladies-only compartments on overnight sleeper trains. Is it time that they finally get it? And we share with you what's made us happy this week in Roundtable's Happy Plays. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to EZFMRoundtable at Foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured on the show in our Heart to Heart segment next on Roundtable. 
Recently, this social media post has gone viral. A woman shared her awkward experience of sharing a closed compartment with three male strangers on a sleeper train. It has sparked a heated debate about women's safety and gender-specific policies on public transportation. Are female-only compartments on sleeper trains warranted? Well, some sleeper trains have trialed in having these female-only compartments in the past, but they were scrapped quickly. So tell us what's going on. Apparently, this lady's post、uh, went viral on social media. Apparently, this discussion has received mixed comments.、Uh, one perspective holds that a distribution of three men and one woman, or three women and one man in one train carriage, can indeed be awkward.、Uh, at the same time, some people said that、uh, you know, well, we are a country. That is very populated, and、uh, many people would like to travel by train. So it's very hard for the public transportation system to meet everyone's demand. And when encounter such problems, maybe when you get on board, if you feel uncomfortable, you can always negotiate with the、uh, staff on board.、Um, Meanwhile, one two three zero six, which is the country's official railway ticket booking platform, also responded that it does not currently support gender-based allocation of、uh, sleeper、uh, compartments if passengers they feel uncomfortable or just they are not satisfied with the arrangement after boarding. They can seek help and assistance from train staff or. For coordination and adjustment. So in China, if you are traveling with this、uh, trains with sleeper,、uh, very likely you will be in the hard sleeper compartment. Well, this is the most common, which means that you have to share the space with five other people in one compartment. However, there's no door to that enclosed space.、Uh, well, for soft. Sleeper, I think the price is a little bit higher. However, you can enjoy a bigger space in that compartment, and to minimize the noise, it offers a door that you can use it to lock the compartment. That's maybe the reason why the girl feel uncomfortable because you are、uh, situated in an enclosed space,、mm. sharing that really tiny space with three. Other men, especially usually these trains are overnight ones. You have to sleep on it and within that compartment. So sometimes, if you have a sense of insecurity, you couldn't sleep well, and you may think I pay more for the ticket in order to enjoy a better space on a train. However, it ended up with while sharing the same. Compartment with three other men, maybe you couldn't sleep at all. So maybe that's the reason why a girl is voicing her concern on social media. Right. Well, Josh, you are a big man. I wonder if you comprehend, you know, this uncomfortable or awkward experience that、um, these ladies are talking about. It's very difficult for me to empathize with it as、uh, six foot four. Man,、um, and I don't think I can empathize with that fear so much. But I definitely respect that and acknowledge that it exists. And so I, I think that all I can do really with this specific issue is、um, I, I think that I just would 
agree to agree to this as uh, and it, and it is it is always quite unsettling when i hear about how uncomfortable and unsafe uh people feel especially women uh, on these on these trains uh, for example so um yeah i can't empathize with it that much i i must admit so josh just to make it clear let's say it's pitch dark outside and you go out and you don't feel scared. If you sleep in this strange place and it's not like bulletproof and you don't feel scared at all, like something could happen. No, no. And don't I envy being a man right now. So Huangshan, do you think this is really a problem? Why is it a problem? If I put myself into that lady's shoes, I would say I'll be concerned as well. If the ratio of the arrangement of passengers will be two men, two women, I think I'll feel more comfortable. Um, what's more is that, I, as I highlighted, is in a soft sleeper carriage, which means there is a lockable door. Yeah. I think it's very hard to reach an agreement with the other passengers, let's say, all the other three passengers are males. How, being the only female in the room, you can negotiate with them saying, I don't want to lock the door. If the guys are really nice, they may agree on your proposal. However, the other passengers, they pay for a more expensive ticket for that uh, better experience. So they don't want to be bothered by the noise outside. That's why they were choosing the soft sleeper. So for them, they feel like it's their legitimate right to close the door, to lock the door. That's the reason why they're choosing for a soft sleeper. However, if you are the only lady in the compartment, it's very hard. So it will make you feel even more uncomfortable because if the door is wide open, you feel like I'm not locked in an enclosed space with three other men. Although mm -hmm. maybe these three guys are really nice and well-behaved and they're gentlemen. However, being the only lady in the room, I won't feel comfortable, to be honest. Yeah, and me either. Mm. We talked about this right before the show. And what you brought up, Huangshan is something that really struck me, which is um, that experience of growing up female in our society with concerns about our own safety and security. That can be an advantage in terms of the vigilance that women might bring to this field by talking about this. And girls and women grow up in a state of constant threat to our personal security because of this. We innately and intimately understand security in a way that other people might not. And it's all about bringing the female voice or new voices to the table, I think, in this discussion. And it's not the first time that the train authorities have contemplated about coming up with a ladies-only compartment. One trial... Uh, was set up in the year 2006, but it was quickly terminated. And could you refresh your memory on why that is? Well, yeah, back in 2006, uh, the country tried implementing 
female-only compartments. However, it was discontinued due to low demand. What's more is the issue of a、uh, soft sleeper compartment shared by strangers of different genders is quite common in China, especially in hard sleeper carriages. And、uh, apparently, many other countries they have different approaches. Uh, for example, in some countries, when you are booking the night trains, they offer、uh, single-sex compartments, most commonly booked by women traveling alone who prefer not to sleep in a mixed compartment. And also, we have to notice that back in 2006, that was before the advent of online booking apps or software. So now, with the online booking. Apps, maybe you will be given more options. I don't know how feasible or how hard it is to put on an extra function into that, but definitely you have to、uh, do more work. You have to put into more consideration, and、uh, it may require、uh, more well staff to figure out like how can I arrange this compartment because you do need a person to.、Uh, Take into consideration of the gender ratio and how can guarantee everyone will be happy with the seat arrangement. That is very hard because, as we said, women think this could be an issue, but men they don't really care about who are the other passengers in one compartment. Right, but we're also talking about half of the population, which、yeah. I think is definitely worth. Whatever technology that can be utilized to help them out, and we talk about AI all the time. We talk about also your ID number, and so much details are already given to the train authorities to book your train ticket. I don't see why not gender is being considered here. And as long as you team up two women in one compartment, we're happy. So now with the advancement of technology. I would think this is far more doable than what it used to be, and it's not about setting up. Oh, these are fixed a fixed number of female compartments, but it's about you know being agile, flexible, and see how many female passengers are on this train,、uh, on this sleeper car, and、um, possibly just leave one more box to check whether you want to. Share the sleeper compartment with another female or female only, and it should be easier done now with technology. I would hope. But also, I have one last question for you guys. That is, this is a little bit more ideal. But wouldn't it be the holy grail that we live in a society where women don't need to? Be nervous about what you wear in public. What sleeper car you share with strangers? Are they men or not? That it wouldn't be so much of a concern for people. It's a little bit ideal, I guess. Yeah, Josh, go ahead. I, I don't think it's particularly ideal. I think the point that you make is quite valid, and I think that there definitely is. That that would be the ideal goal, I guess. That ultimately, what we're talking about here, really, I guess, though, at its heart, is safety. We're not really talking about sleeper trains. We're talking about women feeling safe, right?、Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the ultimate goal. And then, if women still feel very safe, but then they still want that privacy, just like men want privacy as well in some areas, right? When when they're in some doing some things. Then I guess that it's okay,、um, but I think ultimately what we're talking about here is safety. 
So I think that that is the ultimate goal. And I don't think that that's idealistic at all. I think that is something that we should all be taking extremely seriously. Yeah, actually, not only about the gender, but people just want more space. Um, so I'm very happy to see uh, during the design stage. I think now the high speed rails are giving more priority to that private space for passengers because we are seeing the new style sleeper cars. Uh, because on、uh, these cars, the design of the Birds or bunks, you name it. Like they are parallel to each other. It's just like the the bunks are、uh, distributed along the two sides, which means that there are two berths on each side, and they are parallel to each other. So there's no enclosed space in that one compartment. So there's an open space. However, there's a curtain over it, so it will give more private space to each passenger, regardless of your gender. Right. See, design can solve a lot、yeah. of problems. That might be the temporary remedy. I'd still like to highlight we advocate for equal rights and opportunities while acknowledging we're born differently. So a man doesn't feel he needs to be more macho to be a man, and a woman doesn't feel she needs to be less feminine to be a strong and independent woman, and she doesn't feel bad for voicing her needs. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, welcome to Roundtable's Happy Place. Delivery, delivery, delivery. What is it? Happiness from Roundtable. Josh, what's your happy place? Take it away. Recently. Because it's festival season, and I've been lucky enough to play quite a few shows as a musician myself. And a lot of at a lot of these shows, there are also markets, and this seems to be something that's quite common in China.、Um, that is not so common in my own country in the UK when I play shows. Sometimes it is, but there's a lot of markets here, and people. I think maybe because people are such a big fan of street food, snacks, and also. Little trinkets and this kind of thing. The markets do really well and are often part and parcel, if not the main attraction, to some of these concerts. Now, going to these concerts, my happy place and something that I've really enjoyed and has given me a lot of happiness recently are the independent artists that I've met there and being able to purchase some art at very reasonable prices and meet the artists who are actually making them, whether it be sculpture. Or a painting, or a sketch, or a drawing, has really brought me so much joy, and allowed me to have sustained joy、um, forever, indefinitely, I guess, with that art piece being in my apartment. Because, I guess, like any piece of art, really, what gives it meaning is its history and its story, right? The meaning that it has, and of course, if you're able to meet the person that made it and talk to them about their art, for me. It, it's made it so much more special. So、um, it, it's really been a, a great joy to meet people this summer in、uh, around China at some of these markets and meet these artists. And、um, I think it's something that I'm going to try to continue to do. And I think it's also important for the scene as well, the art scene. So、yeah. this is my happy place. And, and Josh, what is that you just、uh, put in front of the camera? Is it an art piece? Yeah. Well, I have some. Small painted traditional masks here.、Ah. Um, that's something that I just have handy, 
and I have another sketch which you can kind of see there. Yeah. Yeah, which is really original and it's sort of using, it's very anatomical and um, sort of got pictures of sketches of plants and roots and then how they sort of match the human body. And it's very, it's quite clever. It's how, you know, basically we're all made of the same stuff and it does it in a very beautiful, almost kind of creepy way, actually, which I quite like. Yeah, yeah I, I like creepy from time to time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like full circle. So you go there performing your art and then you leave the scene not empty handed with um, art that you've purchased. And we do have another topic about music festivals, which Josh will participate in, obviously, uh, in the very near future. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Josh. And Huangshan, we've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> what is your happy place? Today, my happy place is the Chinese TV drama, The Long Season, or in Chinese, Man Chang De Jijie. The series followed previous murder mystery dramas this year I watched earlier, but I would say it has taken this genre to the next level or to a new level. Um, it's not simply a whodunit, but a social commentary on the iron rice bowl industrial towns of the 1990s uh, with some humor mixed in it. Uh, the series flips between the 1990s and 2017, but the actors who are aged up and down between the time jumps are so convincing. Mm. You are never lost as to which period they are in. The series follows Wang Xiao, played by veteran actor Fang Wei, who loses his son and wife in the 1990s. One thing I really like about the series, oh, that's the hard part, is where to start. There are so many reasons why I like this TV drama. Uh, first of all, I think it is the reality that, with one notable exception, there's no black and white character in this TV series. Everyone is very complicated and some of them are in the gray zone. Everyone, even the characters who commit crimes, are revealed to be broken and hurt characters uh, who we as the audience empathize with. One breakout star whose name is Jiang Jiang Qiming won the hearts of internet users with his portrayal of a deaf thug. His ability to act in silence with just facial expressions is haunting and riveting. Definitely there are so many amazing actors and actresses in this TV show. We won't name them out one by one, but you know, their actings are amazing. Another aspect of this show I like is that unlike some TV series with time jumps, the time jumps here elevate instead of detract from the storytelling. I remember watching one French series where the actors in a different time period looked totally different. And I ended up fast forwarding half of the series because I realized the scenes in the future already revealed the events from the past scenes. So I think in this show, you will never get confused. What's more is, I mentioned at the very beginning, it is also a social commentary masquerading as a murder mystery. Um, the characters in the past, they worry about their employment and social lives, which revolve around one steel factory, become in doubt when the move towards modernization means that layoffs are around the corner. And people in that town who have not known any other life have to contemplate a new life. 
Indeed, one major plot is whether one or two characters were willing to take the plunge in starting a new life, or remain with the familiar and with the family, and the pros and cons of both options. I think the ending is very powerful. Yes, yes,、mm. because I would say I don't want to be a spoiler, but like, it's no wonder the central message of the movie is to move forward and do not dwell on the past. I think this message can resonate with many people.、Uh, this is a philosophy of life, because it's human nature to romanticize the good old times. But some memories can be a mirage. Precious memories are worth keeping, but not all are worth holding on to. Some are worth releasing. The past is very important because it provides experience for us to learn. Moving forward is an essential part of growing. That's why I like this TV show. I think if you are a professional person into cinematography, you will love the camera language, well presented by the director. It's very artsy, and he's trying to portray or depict the really trivial and harsh life in. A very romantic way, so that's the reason why I love this TV show. Yeah, and there are so many Easter eggs,、yeah. um, subtly planted in earlier episodes, and then because now this is all being video streamed,、mm. so for binge watchers, you can go back、uh, and forth to sort of revisit those moments, and it's so thoughtfully done. And, and I have to、uh, co-sign with. Huang Shan and、uh, what you said about the cultural autopsy that this TV show, this TV drama has managed to do is spot on, and I think that is also why people have resonated with this show so much. On Douban, Chinese Rotten Tomatoes,、uh, so far as to we're doing this show. Two hundred and thirty thousand users have given a nine point five out of ten stars, which is exceptionally high for that platform. So it's it's just rare to try to be critical and can't really think of anything bad to say <laughs> about a product. And also, this show tackles these really weighty social issues heads-on and zeroing in on the devastating consequences of child abuse and domestic violence. And it really does, like Huang Shan said, teleport the audience from the late 1990s to 2016 in the northeastern part of China. And if you Want to know more about that part of history, or want to know what life is like over there, or if you happen to come from that part of the country, then it's it's all going to offer you a very immersive experience watching the show. And yeah, I'm just gonna ride on the coattail of Huang Shan of today's、uh, happy place. And there's one more thing I really like about this show that's made it my happy place as well, Huang Shan. That is, the backstory of the director is really mind blowing. So this guy Xin Shuang, he is born in 
81. So he's a pretty young guy. And he graduated from China University of Political Science and Law, majoring in international economic law. So he's got the law degree, graduated, and guess what he does? He becomes the guitarist of a punk rock band. And that's what he did for years until he decided that he'll move on to directing. And you've probably seen his previous works. One very notable one being The Bad Kids or Yimi de Jiao Luo in 2020, which uh, made his name also was a very enjoyable show a lot of people watched back then. So... What I find to be really inspiring of the director's backstory is it shows possibility, people, of what you can do with life. And I happen to have a friend who graduated the same year from the same university as director Xin Shuang. And apparently all the alumni are cheering enthusiastically now and it's like if you have a law degree it's not like you have to do the boring well meaningful stuff but you know you can become you know a top director in in China and and this is possibly going to open up our ideas about what you want to do in life and how to get there and and people do get there so maybe that is the part that that has made me really happy and I would like to share with you. Before we go on our merry way, I'd like to share with you the final song of the TV series, which now has new meaning, if you've checked out the show. Jiang Yuheng's Looking Back Once Again, Zai Hui Show, is what we'd like you to enjoy at the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Huang Shen and Josh Cotterell, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.